Hello, my name is Ronnie Dawson. I'm a director and founder of Drop In Ministries based in Northern Ireland. Delighted to be sharing this podcast with my good friend Mark Knox. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, please, Ronnie. Um, I am Mark. Uh, Ronnie, we're in that surprise. I am the founder of Aspire NI. This is a podcast about ordinary people who make up the church. To find out more or share your story, head to ordinarypodcast.com. I'm married to Carolyn. We've been married for 36 years. Blessed with two children, son and daughter. And both of them have blessed us with four grandchildren. So we're, we're, we're eight grandchildren. And feel very blessed. I don't know what to say. I go to say my age, but you kind of meant to stop doing that when you're about fourteen. But I tell you, now I'm twenty-eight. Um, and I am married to Heather. Uh, live in Kurgavan. Um, and what else happens in my life? I help to lead Cara Kurgavan. Um, small church plant in Kurgavan. I think that's my whole life summed up there. Very good. No children or grandchildren. <laughs> but if you're listening to this in the future, possibly. <laughs> For 24 years now, we have uh, led an organization called Drop-In Ministry. started as an outreach program to young people involved in drug and alcohol abuse in the community where we lived at that time, Rich Hill, a small village between Portadown and Armagh. It made the local newspaper headlines in both those towns, the antisocial behavior that was taking place as a result of drug and alcohol abuse. So as Christians, we felt we needed to make response to that, and we've Felt that God was leading us to open a drop-in centre on the main street of the of the village of Rich Hill. So that opened on the fifth of November, nineteen ninety-four. It's a place where we could bring young people off the streets, give them an alternative place to hang out, and uh, within that environment, we had the opportunity to build a relationship with them, have a coffee, game a pool, and be able to share our story of that we believed that there was a better way of life, and uh, that the source of abundant life was found in knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the start of a, a journey that God brought us on uh, starting 24 years ago, and it's been a very exciting journey. Mm-hmm. And in conversation with you, Mark, I'm going to yeah. share a wee bit more. Maybe you could tell us a wee bit how yes. Asparagus got off the ground. Yes, I will. Can I ask a question first, though? Did, drop in, did you always have two ends on drop-in? We did always have two drop in, ends on drop-in. Uh, we this. felt that it was taken from the story of the Good Samaritan, okay, where yeah, yeah. The, guy took the, the guy that had been beaten to an inn. So we felt it wasn't just a drop in in terms of the regular one end, but it was a place actually where people could come and find comfort, hope, Good. shelter. That was, that was the idea behind the, the two like ends. I like that. But people now text me if they're having a drop in and they always put two ends on because their phone's autocorrect to drop in because <laughs> we're always talking about drop in. I love drop in. It's what I commonly text. Um, yeah, so I um, founded a spire like two years ago. I think, um, and maybe it's longer. No, it's not longer. Two years ago, and we uh, we work in eight schools. Hopefully, nine soon. Maybe by the time this comes out, nine. Um, eight high schools in Lurgamport and Kirkgavan, providing free um educational support to those who are from low income families. Um, and we do that through the church. So we get loads of churches together, loads of church youth workers together. Um, we believe they have the money and the resources. And hopefully the time, and got them to go and provide educational support in schools. I'll tell you a bit of the story um, as we go on. But that's kind of what I do with my life. Yeah, sounds sense. great, Marcus. I'll, I'll always remember the you call the first meeting we had yeah. together. You called me to share your vision in Tin House one morning. Yeah. And uh, it's been exciting just to watch how things, how God has, uh, has blessed that vision that mm-hmm. you shared with me that morning over the last couple of years. Uh, for us, the 
the vision to reach out to young people in our own community. We didn't realize that God had a bigger plan for us. The following year after we opened the drop-in center, uh, an opportunity came up for me to go as a volunteer to the country of Belarus mm -hmm. in East, Eastern Europe. They were looking people to volunteer to run a soup kitchen in the city of Minsk. And uh, I volunteered to go on that project. And for me, that was a life-changing thing. Uh, I was 33 years of age going on my first foreign mission trip. Uh, and it done something. Three things that I remember which touched my heart deeply was coming to face-to-face -face with poverty. Mm -hmm. Up until that time in my life, I'd, I'd heard about poverty. I'd seen poverty on the television. But coming face-to-face -face with people for whom it was a daily struggle to provide food for their families had a big impact upon me. Second thing that I remember was uh, experiencing the spiritual hunger that there was because at that time Belarus had just come out of uh, of communism. It was like a spiritual vacuum. So it, it seemed like everybody was trying to find something to believe in. So there was this huge opportunity to, to share the gospel. And then a third thing that impacted me deeply was visiting the children's hospital where kids affected by the Chernobyl disaster were being mm. treated and the hospital didn't even have the basic resources to treat those kids. And so I came back to Northern Ireland with a determination in my heart to do something to help the people. Previous year, I'd been around all the churches in Rich Hill sharing the vision that I had for a drop-in centre. So the doors opened again for me to go around all the churches and share about this mission experience that I'd had. And so uh, thankfully, our kid, the community of Rich Hill really got behind that. And within six months, we had filled a container of food and clothes, medical supplies, gospel literature, Bibles. And uh, we made the journey back across Bay Road to, to Belarus. So that was the, the start of an exciting journey uh, for us, which has, uh, again, as uh, as we continue to talk together, the story will, will more unfold of how God has opened doors now where we presently have projects in 26 nations around the world. So it's been an exciting journey for us as, as we've uh, taken those steps of faith. Uh, and I know steps of faith for you is something uh, I've seen you taking as well, Mark. But, but for us, uh, back in those early days, we knew that to open a drop-in centre, well, God had given me a heart to open it seven days a week. It wasn't something, it wasn't going to be like a church youth club. Yeah. It wasn't going to just be something that you opened at weekends. It was actually something that we felt that God wanted us to do seven days a week. So young people had every day had uh, had an option of mm -hmm. going down onto the park to sniff glue or mm -hmm. to take drugs. They had this opportunity and I knew I couldn't do that and work a full-time job at the same time. So for us as as a, as a young couple with a mortgage and kids, mm -hmm. we took this drastic decision that I would resign from my job and that we'd, we would trust God to meet our financial needs. And uh, that was a big step of faith for us 24 years ago. But uh, looking back over the last uh, adventure that we've been on for 24 years, God has been faithful and uh, it's been an amazing thing. At that time, it was uh, even some of our family, our own family thought yeah. we'd, would go on crazy. <laughs> say so. But uh, that's that's the journey that uh, yeah. say God has brought us on. And uh, it's been exciting just to see how whenever you take a step of faith, whenever you're obedient to what you believe God has asked you to do, it, yeah. blessing always follows obedience. Yeah. So you, so whenever drama started, the vision wasn't to go overseas straight away? No, we had no idea at all that, that there'd be any international dimension. Yeah. Oh, drama was, was just It was one just drama. a youth, youth outreach program based in Rich Hill. Okay, wow. Whenever you say that about going away to and seeing poverty, I always think like so. I went on a few trips um when I was younger, and then uh, been away to Uganda quite a few times. But I always think when you're trying when you're trying to talk to people about it as well, it's that you know the, the verse where Jesus says like I was hungry and you fed me. I always think Jesus wanted us us to see the poverty, not that giving alone isn't good because it is. 
you've got to see it for it to change you. Mm-hmm. I always feel like that's like partly for us as well as for the poor. Because if you don't ever see it or face up to it, you, then your heart never be calling on it. You know. Yeah. But I think I think our hearts are very similar, Mark. And and yeah. I know yours. God knows, maybe someday yours will turn into an international mission <laughs> as well. But ultimately, the heart of the mission is is to to be touched. It's for our hearts to be touched with the things that touch God's heart. Yeah. And for our hearts to be broken with the things that breaks the heart of God. And uh, so for me, that is where I I see the twofold approach of, of dropping mm-hmm. ministries. If people don't know it, we, we do attach a great importance to preaching and teaching the word of God. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, as I've said now for 24 years, since the first, my first missions experience, it's very difficult to tell someone that God loves them if they haven't had anything to eat that day. Very difficult to go into a hospital where a mother's watching her child suffering and share with her about the love of God. But if you brought something with you to ease the suffering and the pain of her child, then it opens a tremendous door. So we, as as we endeavour to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we believe it's a twofold approach. It's preaching and teaching. People need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also need to demonstrate the love of God mm-hmm. by social action and by taking uh, steps to try to take away injustice and, un- and unfairness in our world. And I know that's something that is at the heart of your ministry as well at a local level, Mark. Yeah, no, uh, big style. Um, like for me, like I grew up probably in like very sort of traditional church and it was great we're not knocking that at all but I grew up like I became a Christian when I was a child but I never I still remember I used to listen to like Christian CDs and I knew they believed in something but I didn't go away figure out what it was because it was all just belief and it was belief in something I didn't understand and I rarely saw a practice but um when I probably from I was like in my late teens I started going to Emmanuel Church in Lurgan um we had a youth pastor called Ruth going through sort of the youth program it was it was the action combined with understanding the word for the first time that really got me going. Ah, now I, I can follow Jesus. Now I know what it is to follow Jesus. Um, and so I'd say it's not like some point in my faith I was like, oh, now I'm really passionate about justice. That's now a thing. Um, although when I was a teenager, everybody was wearing make poverty history bands and whatever. Justice was cool. But um, yeah, growing up that was always really important to me as a Christian. And then um. Like, so when I first like, started following Jesus, I read loads of books, like The Irresistible Revolution, and all these books about all these mad people who were like selling up everything to go and follow Jesus. So I was always like, I want to do this in some way, but didn't know why. Part of it was just to be a hero. Um, but then as our story, my story goes on, um, I went to school because that's what you do as a child. And then I finished because that's what happens at the end. Um, and uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do apart from be some sort of radical follower of Jesus. But I didn't know how that looked. And I didn't really have the character for it either. I just had this idea. So my name and lights. But um, I, uh, I said I'd study theology um, because I was quite good at RA. And that would pass three years, studied that. And at the end of that, so I had been over to London a few times on mission trips as well. And again, poverty, deprivation, all this stuff. And I was like, I want to go and live in London. So this church said to me about coming over to work for them. I had been about 21. They were crazy. But I was like, hey, cool. But I went over for like five weeks the summer before my last year of uni. And um, this was nothing to do with it. But you remember the, the rats in London? That's not why I didn't go. But it was that summer of the rats and everyone up in flames. And as soon as I got off the plane, um, like I felt God speaking before, but often to tell me to do things, not to tell me not to do things. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got off the plane, I felt uneasy. And I was like, I don't want to be here. And like, I was going like, this is really weird because I did and this was my plan. Go went through those five weeks and was like, nah, I don't want to be here um, at all. And then ended up coming home and being like, right, well, I'm going into a family reunion with no idea of what I want to do. 
And then in Emmanuel, once Sunday morning, they were talking about um, the internship that they were going to be running. They're like, got to run the internship, got to work with young people. And I was like, right, I was going to work with young people in London, but I'm not going to ask. I was like, God, if this is from you and you want me to do this, I want you to make it happen the next day. So Emmanuel used to run this thing called Purim Pancakes at the time, where we had Purim Pancakes. Um, and uh, I went to that the next day, brought a lot of young people to school, came back, and then Grant, who was youth pastor, said, would you ever think about taking a year out? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that would be good. So took a year out with uh, Emmanuel, um, doing youth work, really, really loved it. Kind of floated around for the next year as well, while washing dishes in Atlanta interiors. They don't sponsor this podcast. Um, and uh, maybe they should. And then uh, after that, um, I watched this TV series called, I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a sitcom. It's not like a documentary. When I tell people this story, they sometimes think it's like an education, educating Yorkshire thing. And I was caught by the story of teachers. It's about this guy called Simon who cycled to work on a bike every day. There was a donkey placed in every episode somewhere different. So I was like, this program's hilarious. What's that? And while watching it, I went, I'm going to be a teacher because it looked like an absolute laugh. So I applied to be a teacher, which made my mum very pleased. And then I started to get very worried going, oh no, what if I get accepted? Um, next thing I get this letter going, you've got an interview. So I'm like, oh no. So I'll tell my mum and I've got this interview. She's over the moon. And I'm like, great, I'll, I'll prepare for it a bit. So I went and met uh, a friend, Ian, who's a teacher, sat with him, prepared this whole thing. Probably out of pride as well. I didn't want to knock it, accept it. If I wasn't going to do it, I wanted it to be because I didn't want to do it. But then I stayed up all night the night before my interview. So I was living with my friend Paddy at the time and it was about 3am and he was like, you're not going to go to bed, you have an interview tomorrow. And I was like, nah, don't worry about that. Um, went and had the interview, didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Got a letter again going, you got accepted to do this teaching. So I was like, oh, here we go. I'm going to be a teacher now. So uh Decided to go off, do the teaching. Like, never had any intention of being a teacher. But they used to do these classes on a Tuesday where everyone came. So everybody had to go to the Tuesday class. And in my head, if you had to be there, if you were doing RE, Maz, Geography, whatever, you all had to be there. So I knew this wasn't important. Anything that is that wide is definitely not important. So I used to either go home or play a game on my iPad um, on Tuesdays. But one Tuesday was on poverty and education. And this part of me that was like, go on poverty, I'll sort that. Because I'd always had this thing about justice and fairness and all the rest. And the woman who was taking it was one of my lecturers, so I really liked her, so I thought I'll not play on my iPad today, I'll listen. And then she began, she, she started with a stat that is still the stat that I come back to all the time, or if I'm going, why did I even do this? Which was, um, I've got the modern one written down here. At the time, I think it was even worse, but free school meal eligible pupils, so pupils are eligible for free school meals due to their social background. At the minute, only 49.6% of them get five or more GCSEs, including maths and English, grades A star to C, which means a pass compared to 79% of non-preschool So it's like, did any? Just because of where they're born, just because they're poor, just because, like, it's totally not their own fault. And like, I don't know why, like, it felt for me, like, in that moment, like, a little, my worldview was completely shaped in one sentence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I'm learning all this stuff about pedagogy, which is a word I had to learn, about how to teach, about classroom styles, about including iPads, about everything else. But if a child's been born into a family that's poor, this is not going to make any difference, largely. Um, and I was like, someone should do something about this. Um, but then at the end, I didn't want to be a teacher. So I was like, okay, I just went looking for jobs. And there was a job come up with a charity called Fusion, who are brilliant, who work with churches and universities. And I was like, that sounds good. And I was going to be the Fusion Ireland director. I like the term director because I gave my superhero complex. I was like, that's good for the ego. I'll be a director. Thanks, Spielberg. So uh, I uh, applied for that, got that job. I was like, happy days, that's me sorted was working with students in churches, like kind of forgetting about the other thing, about the teaching, about the poverty, about all that. But then I was about to go to a trip to England um, with 
Fusion because um, they were based in it. And the night before, I spoke to Grant, who's the youth pastor who said about the internship ages ago. And I said, Grant, we should do something about this. Like, we could run a homework club. Thinking it was going to, I could, like, get five kids and some cornflakes run a homework club. Then it went on the trip to Fusion, which was in this massive posh house in England. Now, at this point, the whole poverty thing's been going around and around in my head. And I'm going, if someone's born poor, they're not going to achieve. And I'm now sitting in this massive posh house by a fire in this big soft seat going, what am I doing here? Like, I want to be fighting for these kids. And then they got up and said they're going to change how. So at that, that point, we had to do fundraisers, but we didn't have to raise our own wage fully. So it, I just thought it came from a magic money tree. But at that point, they said, you're going to have to fundraise your own wage. So I was like, oh, goodness. And I was like, kind of half cross, because I said to myself, or God, or someone, I was like, if you have to fundraise your own wage, then I just do whatever I want. I could fundraise my own wage and do anything that people believe in that I believe in. Sat back in my chair, and like my, my whole life flashed before my eyes in the movie, and I was like, so you love the youth work? Okay, you are passionate about that. You now know how charity works, and you want to do something with poverty and education. So the mad part of my head said, this is quite clear what to do. I will leave my job here. I will set up my own charity that works with youth workers to help poverty and education. And the other part of my brain said, don't do that. That's a ridiculous thing to say. So I prayed a prayer, hoping that God wouldn't answer it because he normally doesn't answer it in this kind of way. So I went, God, if this is from you, I need you to speak now. Obviously thinking nothing will now happen and I am off the hook. And at that point, I looked up on a girl, Miriam, who worked with us, said 80% of the UK church, according to a survey, um, done by Talking Jesus, are university educated. And I later looked up and discovered only 45% of the UK are. So if you're poor, you're not likely, you're, only, you're less than 50% likely to get five GCSEs. If you're in church, 80% of you have been to university. So at this point, I was like, oh my goodness. So Christians are not reaching the poor, and the poor are being like underserved by education. This is from God. We're going to have to do it. Um, it's kind of where my whole story, the whole thing began. But for you, how did you go from one drop-in centre and a man on a mission trip to growing drop-in to like, what it is? Hey, well, again, that's uh, a big story, which is too much for this podcast, Mark. But uh, there's a, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter three and verse twenty that would sort of sum up the twenty four year journey that mm-hmm. Carolyn and I have been on. Is that God is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask yeah. or imagine, according to His power that does His work within us. And so, for sure, this journey is far beyond anything that we would have ever expected. Uh, as I said, we'd started working into Belarus. Uh, just for the record, I've been into Belarus now 53 times. Uh, but we felt that that was God's plan, purpose. We were working a local youth outreach within our own community. And we'd started supporting the church in Belarus with bringing humanitarian aid into hospitals and orphanages. And uh, so that's where we were at. And we felt that's that's God's plan and purpose. Mm-hmm. We now have a, we have a local outreach program and we have an international dimension, which we never had expected. But over the next few years, it was like uh, God tested our faith in many different ways. But to go, just to answer your question concerning uh, the drop-in centres that people mm-hmm. see whenever they're travelling around Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, we now, we now have uh, 30 shops mm-hmm. in the north. We are registered as a charity in the south. We have three shops down south. We are registered as a charity on the Isle of Man. We have two shops and, and we're registered as a charity in America where we have two shops in the state of Iowa. The shops, again started as a result of uh, people started giving us a lot of donations which didn't fit the criteria of humanitarian mm-hmm. aid mm-hmm. so uh, we were being given a lot of things which we couldn't transport so we were left with this dilemma we didn't have any storage facilities so what do we do with this stuff that's being donated that we can't sit put on the lorry to take 
as humanitarian aid. So my mother uh, decided that she would open a small shop. Ritchell has changed a lot in the last 24 mm-hmm. years, but up in the top square, there used to be a wee small corner shop. And we rented that. And on a Thursday afternoon, a Saturday morning, my mother would have tried to sell the things that didn't fit criteria yeah. of humanitarian aid. And if we raised 30 or 40, 50 pound a week, that was we thought that was good. That went towards the shipping costs of, of sending the containers across Europe. But the community of Rich Hill really got behind that initiative as well. And very soon we had opened a shop six days a week on the main street. Then the communities of Tandergee and Market Hill really got behind. They knew what we were doing for the local youth. And we, they knew what we were local people wanting to help people mm-hmm. in, in difficult circumstances internationally. So they got behind. And very soon we, we had shops opened in uh, in Market Hill and in Tandergee as well. So after three shops, we realized that this was something that God had graced us with because that was actually my secular background. So mm-hmm. nothing was wasted. I had mm-hmm. come from a retail management background. And so I knew the uh, to have a, a, a if you had the model right it was easy to multiply so we that's where so we we realized that the shops were something that we could develop so that's where we are that we have 30 shops uh, today and the shops have become the main source of revenue for our projects around the world so that's that's in terms of where the shops uh, have started from a again we have found from experience that God tests your faith you're a young man Mark mm-hmm. Probably as you grow older, God will begin to stretch your faith to believe for even bigger things than mm-hmm. you've experienced up to now. And that's what we found. Because uh, we had been fitting, we had, we had to settle comfortably to have a youth outreach locally and a, an international project in Belarus. But God uh, had other ideas of, of impacting other nations for his kingdom. And uh, But we have, we have always found from our experience that God tests your faith before he brings you to the next level. He'll, he'll test you to see. So... We have some very interesting experiences of crossing borders yeah. in Eastern Europe and the paperwork involved in that. And one particular night, it's, it's etched in my memory, we were held on the border between Poland and, and Belarus for 20 hours. And the time wasn't the time scale wasn't the worst thing, but the, t- the temperature outside was minus 20. Now, for a young fella from Rich Hill County, Arma, I'd never <laughs> experienced minus 20 in my life. And it was a very, very painful, <laughs> uncomfortable even <laughs> night that we spent on that border. And both of us, the other driver and myself, we said, if we can just get home from this, we will never do this again. And uh, it would. Be, we often think about that night because it had been very easy to give up. But in our, in our personal Bible reading the next morning, God brought us to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And it says, uh, do not give up. Uh, as you have opportunity, do good to all men. And uh, it had been very easy to have given up. But uh, once we reached our destination and we distributed our humanitarian aid, we forgot about that thing mm-hmm. that we said. But it's like looking back and seeing that those are situations where God tests your faith, actually to see. And I think if we had a given up that night and said, that's too difficult, that's too hard, we'll never do this again, we would have never got to Asia and to Africa and to South America, all the places now that God has opened doors for us, not only to share the word of God, but actually to bring an expression of his love into situations of poverty and injustice around our world. Mm-hmm. So it's been an exciting journey uh, again I could tell you many, many different stories of how God opened doors. Like we're in, we're in Burkina Faso in West Africa. Whenever I first met a pastor from Burkina Faso in 2002, uh, I didn't honestly know. I didn't like to tell him that, but I didn't even know where Burkina Faso <laughs> was on the map. It was called Upper Volta when I was <laughs> at school. So <laughs> it had changed its name. And uh, he was to tell us that in his home city, 3,000 children had been orphaned as a result of AIDS. And it was the desire of his church to do something to help, but they had no resources. And so we uh, we sent a, 
a team out to Burkina Faso and as a result of that trip we made a commitment we would build a school uh, employ teachers employ cooks and we'd provide a feeding and education program for 150 orphan children and uh, so that's well, first school was completed in September 2003 today we have four primary schools in Burkina Faso a high school we have a Bible college and this year we'll complete a medical clinic which is all obviously uh, working with the local church where we can continue to preach the gospel and we can demonstrate the love of God by social action. So those are the types of things. The following year, 2004, I went into Rwanda. Uh, again, it was a door. Amazing how the Lord opened the door for that. And if you remember, uh, just thinking of dates, 1994 was the year we started dropping. My main focus was that there was anti-social behaviour in Rich Hill. But I have a vague memory on the news that there was a genocide taking place in Rwanda, mm-hmm. in Africa. And it was 10 years after that genocide took place that God may took me to Rwanda. And... Uh, the, it was the most emotional place that I've ever visited uh, to hear the stories of widows and orphans, survivors of mm-hmm. genocide, and to hear their stories. And uh, one memory I have of uh, a woman sharing her story, she was, 1994, was married with five children. She's seen her husband and all five children macheted to death. She was raped by the people that killed her family. Mm-hmm. And when I met her, she was HIV positive as a result of the rape. And we travelled around Rwanda and just heard similar stories time and time again. And these women didn't have any, their, the breadwinner was gone. They, they didn't even have a, an income to support themselves. So we felt that we should build. So we, we, we made a commitment to build three strategic areas of Rwanda centres where they could come and be trained in self-income generating projects. And we also built a, an AIDS clinic in the capital city of Kigali. So th- those are the types of, uh, and I can honestly say to you, Mark, uh, wherever you minister to the needs of widows and orphans, it always touches the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you'll can't, you never come short whenever you be obedient, because that's, that's, that's plain. Mm-hmm. That's plain from the Word of God. Mm-hmm. The action, Christianity, religion, use the term whatever you want, that God loves us when, when you minister to the needs of widows and orphans. And so we have we have just found amazing. The, 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 so we're in 26 different nations, so we haven't time on this podcast to... Mm-hmm. to share all of those things but again God has placed a burden on our hearts for uh, for the nations so that's why we love to hear your story as well because uh, we think that the Great Commission involves our own community mm-hmm. our nation and our world mm-hmm. and I think it's amazing that, that we as ordinary people mm-hmm. have the opportunity to impact nations of the world for the kingdom of God good use of ordinary people there as well yeah <laughs> I like that I like that a lot um, his, even when you were saying that, I was, I was with Phil Emerson from Emmanuel today. He was talking about um, you were saying about like uh, you feeling you get yourself stretched, and God giving you more. He was talking about those like what he calls now I know moments. You know, like Abram when he was gonna sacrifice his son, and then God was like now I know, and then he was able to give him more. Mm-hmm. And like one of the reasons, so uh, way back before we started Aspire, I met you to share the share the vision as well, because mm-hmm. also we were starting Aspire, and we had just started to plant Cara as well. And I was like, who would be mad enough to have a church and charity starting at a similar time? I thought, Ronnie Dawson, not so. Um, but even for, for us in uh, in Craigavon, like, so we, uh, these guys, don't know if you've heard of them, call dropping, had this building in Craigavon. And then it was in June there that we um, started to rent the building off, drop in to run like Sunday services. I know I'm going off a sparse lately here, but I'll bring it back. But uh, we were, um, that we, we had a day, it was like that, just we're in June where we, Got everyone together to like do the building up. It was a Saturday, so church was gonna start on Sunday, and we were. I I thought I'm class here. I've got this building. Look at this. 
and all of a sudden so we had loads of like spire kids and all come in and we brushed it and we painted it and we put everything up and then we had an american there and like we're in caravan and i was like this guy adam cox from america was there and he was praying for us and prophesying over us and i'm like i am the boy here thinking look at this here church tomorrow in this building i am i am the boy then i went to go home because i was tired and it was over and my friend rang me and said that we have a friend who's an alcoholic and he'd gone missing and i was like oh no like it's going to ruin my night. I'm, I'm ready for my, my, my big morning or my big afternoon, the next afternoon in this new building. We had to go chasing this guy. So we were like, and I was, I was wearing like clothes all covered in dust and paint, walking into every bar and poured it down, walking around and walking back out again because my friend wasn't there. Then I thought, kind of in my head, I thought, at least I can be the hero here when I rescue this guy. Turns out he's sleeping in his own living room. So there's no even heroic story. And I was like, right, well, now, now I'll go home, finally. Got home um, and then I was about to go to bed and the same friend rang again. I said another one of our friends was feeling suicidal in his house. So I was like, big day of the morrow. Like, I'm the boy. I got this new building with lights. And then I had to go to his house. We ended up then having to go to hospital with him. And this whole thing was going on. And in the middle of that, it was like 3 a.m. I got a phone call from uh, one of the girls, one of the teenage girls who goes to Cara. And I didn't answer it. I missed it. But it turned out she was out and I got drunk. and was going, I need somebody to pick me up. And I was like, what is going on? So someone else had to go pick her up. She was crying about, I'm really, I don't even know, am I still a Christian? Does God still love me? We're at hospital at 25 to 5 with this guy. And I'm like, what is going on? And also, my wife Heather's away this weekend. So, I'm extra sad. Get home. <laughs> I get home. Go to sleep. Obviously, because it's really late. Although it was bright. So, I go to bed. And then I wake up the next day and I'm like, right, we've got this building. I'm a wee bit less excited about it now because I'm so tired. But I know it has to be good. So, I need to go photocopy some stuff. So, go and try and get that done. It was really warm, remember, in June? It was started mm-hmm. heat wave. And for some reason, this bit is totally my fault, I decided I need to buy some lunch. So I buy eight dry muffins. I don't know why I thought this would be a good idea anyway. So then I'm eating these dry muffins in the car. And I'm crying, half because I'm, I'm, I'm tired and half because dry muffins make you cry. Um, and then I go home and I get, like, I've got half an hour before I've got to be there. And I was so excited. And I thought I was the man the night before. And I fell on my knees in the bedroom. And was like, oh, that was such an attack of the enemy. I really felt God saying... It wasn't. This is what you were always called to do. You were passionate about Kurgavan. You were passionate about young people. And last night, all of a sudden, you were passionate about a sound desk and a couple of lights. But actually, I felt like God had actually took us on this journey. And because we were faithful, it felt like one of those annoying moments. Mm. And then after that, we had like the one of the best, well, massive highs, massive lows, one of the best summers. But it felt like it was one of those moments, you know. me i uh i didn't know how to set up a, a charity so i googled um uh how to set up a charity because that's what you do nowadays so this whole list comment was like okay step one get a board so i thought i still at this point thought i might not have to do this so i'd, I'd said to god i want you to speak now felt god hard but then thought people could still let me down and i could go back and do something normal so um i had you had to get three people to be on a board i think i thought i'm gonna ask five and I doubt three of them would say yes. All five said yes. And I was like, oh goodness, here we go now. <laughs> and then I left my job. So I was like, oh, this is really happening now. And we started. So we were given £1,000, which I thought was brilliant. But then when you register a company, buy a website, get an email address, like do a few things. In our first month, at the end of the first month, we had our first board meeting. And they were like, yeah, we've got £20. And I was like, oh goodness, right? This is my new job. Mm-hmm. And I was engaged at the time. Wasn't I? Yes, I was. I was engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, happy days. So I made a board, but one of the first lessons I learned in seeing Vision Become Reality is don't worry about money. 
if God's got the vision and there's going to be provision, I know that rhymes, so it sounds cheesy, but it's kind of true. And even like later now in Aspire, like we made up these sort of rules for the staff that are like, we won't be bought by politicians, by businessmen. Um, to the thing. So one of the things we say is, if a politician comes to the office and wants to take a photo, we say, no, there's no photo until there's change. If a businessman comes and he wants to give us, to get a photo taken or give us money, but we have to change what we do depending on the money, we say no, because it's God's vision, it's God's money. If a businessman wants to give us loads of money, happy days. But if it doesn't come from him, it'll come from 150 students giving us, you know, 10, 20 pound. It's mm-hmm. God's thing. So not worrying about money is one of the things. And I'm saying that as if I fully am like relaxed into that. I'm not in the summer. I kept phoning the staff saying, I've calculated here. Like I was in the shower drawing condensation. God, I've calculated how many months do we close down if uh, if we don't get get some more money. But we um, then have grown from, so we started as, I was one staff. Um, so I was, there's the board obviously in charge of me. So they're my boss. Um, and then there was me and I was working part-time and I was trying to get started in one school. And this is in only, not that long ago, 2016, September 2016 to Christmas. I wasn't in any schools. I was just trying to tell people, this is definitely going to work. Please give us money and it's going into schools going, I promise you this will be good. We finally we got into Brownlow, January 2017. So it's only like a year and a half ago, slightly more. Um, started into Brownlow in Kirkavon, which is, by the way, the best school in the world. I, I didn't realise at the time. Like I went then and everyone from the girl at reception to the teachers, to everyone was unbelievable. And I thought then, schools are lovely. They're not all like that. But um, we started off in Brownlow and we had four kids. And we worked the first January to June working with four kids. And um, we tried to help them with their education. So what we do is we run after school clubs. So at that time, it was three days a week in Brownlow running homework clubs. So in the homework club, we help them with their homework. But we're not teachers. So we try and act as parents in terms of, here's a cup of tea, you're doing all right. We're trying to act as youth workers by pointing them towards the right people that they're going to need um, to help them, whether that be the church or whether that be your speak to your teacher. And we try and act as classroom assistants by sitting beside them going, please do your homework. So kind of, I had like convinced myself that if the church says the money and the people and we do this, that somehow people end up coming to Jesus. I didn't really know how this was going to happen, but I had this vision it was, that it felt come from God. So I just kind of trusted it, kept going. And the first summer we had, we, we we did a summer program where there was like as many leaders as young people. We just looked like an old group of friends. Um, I looked like a really old uncle or something. Um, but we went on loads of different trips and we um we then took part in Glow, which is like loads of the churches and learn come together, similar to Expression and Porter Down. And I got our guys to go to Glow because we paid them in and I thought, I hope they don't mess about too much. And there was one night where someone had spoken and they had to, as a response, there was like these checks and it was like, um, you to ask God for what you wanted in your life not like loads of money it wasn't some weird prosperity gospel <laughs> scenario but I saw one of our guys walking up the front with one of these checks and I was like oh no I hope he has not sworn that piece of paper I hope he's not like like taking an absolute mech out of this and then afterwards because I was leading worship so I could see him so afterwards I came off and I was to the stage I was standing at the side and someone ran up to me and goes you need to see what this guy's wrote down and uh, he, he must have been brought up in some sort of Christian culture, right? Because he wrote down, I, I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, which is very archaic language for such a young fella. But that was amazing. We got to like lead him to Jesus and pray for him. And, and I was like, this actually works. Mm. I guess it's barring, like, I know I, I hoped it would work, but it, it actually works. Then we started, we employed Marty last September and I doubled up. And so I was now in two schools and he was in two schools. We were working with 40 young people, like from four to 40. I was like, it's, it's been crazy all year. Uh, and I, I thought kind of, that would be it for a while. And then January 2018, we employed Andrew because we were getting into another two schools. And I was like, okay, now there's 60 schools. We're almost 60 young people. That's bound to be it for a while. 
And then in September there, we're just employed Megan because we're now working in eight schools with 80 young people because the need is out there. And once you got one school singing your praises, everybody wants it. At the start, I thought, too, are we going to be allowed to talk about Jesus? See, when you're providing free educational support, you talk about whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. schools are just going, you're doing this for free. And you're like, why? And you go, it's just the church. And they always ask who funds us. And you just go, churches and individuals from churches. And it blows their mind. They just can't believe it. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the girls from uh, one of the schools um, was in a... I mean, recently, and she said that loads of teachers are really intrigued about why the church would want to do this, which is amazing. But then last summer then, so I thought one young person would come to Christian the year before it was amazing, and it was, obviously. But this summer, um, Andrew, um, Maguire, and myself had applied for funding, like, on a whim, because we got this email about it, to do a camp. Like, why would we run a camp? We were like, we're on a camp. We'll call it Campus Bar. All the emails we sat back and forth at the start, we, could, we just called it the best camp ever. But we called it Campus Bar, and the, the funding is all for cross-community. So we were like, well, what if we took... So loads of our young people come from different backgrounds. So we were like, what if instead of going, this is Jimmy and this is Patrick, they were both involved in the paramilitaries, and now they have pizza together. Like, that's cross-community often is. We were like, what if we were to go... Some people here call themselves Protestant, some people here call themselves Catholic, but what is faith? How do we look at faith? How do we practice faith? So we... Mm-hmm. Again, I had this mad idea that we would start off very information-based and then go, let's give some of this stuff a go. So I didn't know how it was going to play out. We took 26, 24, 26, I can't remember. I, I did do head counts at the time. Kids away to um, camp. And we had on the first day, there was a priest came and he said, this is what the Catholic faith looks like. And the second day, there was a Presbyterian minister. He was like, this is what it could look like to be Protestant, all very information-based. And then the third day, Grant, who's a youth pastor at Emmanuel, came down and said, this is how it looks to be defined as Christian. And, and and work with people from both backgrounds, which was good. And that night, Johnny from Youth for Christ came down and said, okay, Protestants and Catholics pray. In fact, stats tell us people who don't even believe in God pray. Let's design a prayer room. So I didn't know if it would work or not. So the young people were designing a prayer room themselves. And then we opened the prayer room. So I kind of thought, it's going to be a bit awkward. I'll stick Andrew McGuire in there and a few <laughs> other boys. They, they'll deal with that awkwardness, fine. I had to go in at half 12 at night and say, right, guys, we're going to have to call it a night. Because all the young people came in, experienced God, had never sat still before, had never been open to prayer before, and suddenly all these young people were bawling their eyes out, and all our leaders were like going around um, praying for them. And the best thing for me was the guy who became a Christian the year before, he's a character anyway, he came up to me and goes, I, I'm, I'm going to get Jesus into these guys here, don't worry about it. <laughs> and then it was time for bed, and I goes, right, you need to go to bed. And he goes, any more, any more tears, I'll do the praying, don't worry, I've got it from here. And it, it was lovely to see him like trying to like look after them, and I thought that was amazing. The next night, though, we were trying like to do, uh, we said we're going to introduce worship. So we're going to sing a couple of songs. And again, I thought, you can bring in worship to a Christian youth again. And the young people are going, oh, I don't want to do this. These guys absolutely loved it. And at the end, um, three of them gave their lives to Jesus. One of the parents gives their life to Jesus. Then we went to small groups. And there was a guy in my group who was proper, like, on edge. And I knew he either, wanted to, he either really needed the toilet or he was going to give his life to Jesus. Thankfully, it was the second one. So he... Uh, he went, I saw him go and get Andrew and go into the prayer room again. I came out and we were like, who are these young people who give their lives to Jesus? Like, this couldn't get any better. Till the next week, went back to Glue, where the first guy had become a Christian the year before. And um, three more young people gives their lives to Jesus every single day. And we were sitting back going, wow, this wasn't all us. This was a mixture of the work that we were doing and then Youth for Christ and Reach Mentoring and stuff that's happened through CARA. But we, in two weeks, saw seven young people give their lives to Jesus. And we were like, I was sitting in the prayer room going, I told churches, that if they supported this, that young people would be supported in school, do better in education, find Jesus, and get involved in the local church. But I told them, thinking really that's best case scenario, and I was sitting in a room going, 
my goodness, this is actually working. That God's visions come true, not because of anything I did, but because we trusted the vision. We were doing Bible studies with these kids, and like they were going, can we read John 1, can we read John 2, can we read John 3? And I was like, don't forget to read John 4. They're like, I'm running on John 5. It was, <laughs> it was mad, and that's kind of how we saw the vision um, become a reality. For you, early vision of of of, uh, of like having this one center to work in in, um, in all of these different countries have you experienced any like pushback any trials or troubles have you found any of this difficult uh, well I think what you're mentioning there even in terms of the world in which we live in uh, there there would be a lot of people that would want to come and support drop in for an agenda and mm-hmm. we have like you mm-hmm. we have decided no that we we're not uh, we're not going to be uh, influenced by money or anything like that. So we have very much trusted God for all our resources. And uh, again, one thing about dropping is as God has opened new doors for us, we uh, we have we haven't went back to projects that we ha- already have established and said, "No, I'm sorry, we can't support you anymore because yeah. we've found something new." So we've always trusted God to meet the financial need if we committed to a new project. So I mentioned Rwanda there. Uh, we went to Rwanda, and I, I told you that we made this commitment that we would build these three regional centres. And uh, we, we had no idea where were the where was the mm-hmm. finances going to come for this. Uh, but we, we felt that we were responding to the need that God had brought us in to experience and to see. And uh, when I came home from that trip, having made this financial commitment that we didn't know where the money was coming from, uh, the following day after I got back from Rwanda, I... I Got a call from a Presbyterian minister in Monaghan. <laughs> and uh, he said, Ronnie, we have been calling into your shops there in Portadown. We've read your your materials and would love the work that you do. He says, would you consider coming to Monaghan? We have a place. We have all the volunteers from the church if you would come and open a shop. And so it, that was really like for us, God's saying, you be obedient to what I'm telling you yeah. to do. And... I'll provide the resources. So that was that was actually the start of us becoming registered as a, as a charity in the south of Ireland. And as a Presbyterian minister, he thought, well, he's set the ball rolling. Uh, but by the time they go through all committees and stuff, it could be six months before I mm-hmm. hear back from Ronnie. But we were back to him within two weeks mm-hmm. saying, right, if you've got the place, we'll come down mm-hmm. and uh, get it kitted up. So we had that shop open within within a period of weeks. And the it's traded successfully now for, what's that, eight, 14 years? Yeah. And but I I always remember that as as uh, as the answer that God would God told us you 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 be obedient to what I call you to do and the res- the resources will come so that's been an exciting journey for us as well in uh, in seeing the provision that we need to see the vision fulfilled and again we we are we believe that God's still going to open doors we have a heart to reach it into most some of the neediest closed places for Christianity in the world and we believe that. We will see those doors begin to open for us. So it says it's, it's an exciting, it's an exciting thing. To last week I was in in Ukraine. I uh, that was another step of faith we took away back in two thousand and two. I had this vision, this dream. We we'll call it what you want, but mm-hmm. I thought because God had started opening doors for us into Belarus, into Ukraine, into Albania, Moldova, all of these places. And same thing uh, to myself with my visionary hat on. Wouldn't it be wonderful to bring all these people together from one place into one location. Where we could hear all the different reports of what they're doing with 
and partnership would drop in and we would bring a Bible teacher and would do this. So we heard about this place in, in Austria. Uh, it was a castle, Schloss Mittersel. I'll always remember the name. But we went there and, and the guy that came with me, he was he was one of our top, uh, on our management team. And the idea was that we would rent some rooms and we would, so he, he was absolutely shocked <laughs> whenever I said to the guy at the end of the, the two days of uh, seeing the place, uh, I said, yeah, we'll, we'll take the whole place for a week. <laughs> and he looks at me thinking, did he really say that? But that was the start. Last week was our 16th uh, annual European conference in Ukraine. And we had 76 people from 11 nations. And I, I can only tell you, it's a wee taste of heaven yeah. to bring people together, to worship God, to study the word of God, to hear the reports of what God's doing in all of these different nations. And uh, so again, that that's I think that's for me as probably at 57 years of age, is uh, probably older than your dad, Mark, mm-hmm. is that uh, God is able to do far more abundantly than anything that I ever thought or imagined. I, I was born and brought up in a, in a wee a terrace house called in Harford Street, not so far from where we are tonight, in Portadown. And Carolyn's from a working class background as well. So for us, it's, it's it's been an amazing journey to see how God takes two ordinary young people yeah. and can use them in amazing ways. And it's, it was just through simple steps of faith, simple steps of obedience. And that's why I love having a conversation with people like you because mm-hmm. uh, you're still young and uh, you have influence o- over all these other young people. And for me, I like to see it from God's perspective. What you're doing for these young people in Craigavon, whose society has placed at the bottom of the ladder, but God sees the potential that they have to be world changers. And you see, you see that as well. In terms of, of in what you've shared, you've, you've really seen your vision come to reality in the space of two years. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see the thing progressing then as, as, you move, as you move forward? Do you think it's just going to keep building or is it something that you'd, you could, because it is amazing vision. Yeah. But I think it, it touches, it's, it has the potential to touch cultures because it's not just Northern Ireland no. that you struggle with that in unfairness or injustice within society where if you're born into a poor culture that you have, Far less chance to yeah to make it in in life yeah. So do you see that 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 you can continue to develop that vision and dream that God has given you? Yeah. So I suppose at the start we thought we get in a couple of schools in Kuravan will be doing well, and then two years in we're in eight schools. So we who's the next thing for us is to move at the primary school. Um, for now, um, so we've kind of got a five year vision, and beyond that, I don't know. I'm gonna wait for God to give me the next bit. The next five years, we're trying to think, and we want to go to primary schools because, so all the stats I re- was reading originally was around GCSE's results. Oh, but I read this thing, we made a wee video around it recently, and it's on the website, proper got me, was that if you get a load of five-year-olds in a room, rich, poor, from UK, and ask them what they want to be, they'll all have the same level of aspiration. So when the survey was done, CSI was like the new TV show, so everybody wanted to be a forensic scientist, everyone, uh, five. And then you got a load of 11-year-olds in a room, and by 11... Kids from the poor backgrounds had already lowered their expectations and they're only 11 and they no longer had a big dream for their life. They were now going, I want to be just this. Why? That's what my dad does. Or I don't know if I'll get a job. And their attitude to school at five, everyone at five is asked, why do you go to school? Have good fun to make good friends. By 11, the kids from lower income families were saying, I go to school so I can get a job. Whereas the better off children were saying, I go to school so I can get a good job. So we wanted to start in the primary schools now 
and go. So look, we want there to be a stream that they, for the young people where it's available from their probably about seven or eight years old until they're doing their GCSEs. So that's in the Craigavon area. And then just due down to where the poverty is, we see ourselves going to Belfast, Derry and Strabane as the next three areas because we think if we can tackle the and Belfast Massive, you say Belfast is the famine town to but um, they're the, the, the poorest areas in, in Northern Ireland, so we think we'll tackle those first. If we can then get in the primary schools and secondary schools in the four poorest areas in Northern Ireland, we'll take it from there as to as to what happens next. And if, that's where we are, although it changes. Yeah, I love your vision, Mark. I suppose for me, uh, at my, my generation, I, I, I feel my generation is sort of, we get to a certain stage of life, you're, you become a grandparent and you're probably looking forward to retirement and, and uh, making sure that your pension schemes in proper order and your financial security for the latter part of your life. And I want to, I want to sort of buck that trend because I, I want, I want, I believe God has uh, a life of abundance and enjoyment and adventure for me for the, for the rest of my day. So I don't want to get stuck into that rat trap yep. where uh, you go down that road. But I think for you, for your generation, there seems to be a lot of young people have have dreams and visions to to really be world changer. I love that sort of term where mm-hmm. people have have dreams and visions. But it's so easy. I, I like I talk at, at an international level to young people, and I see where how quickly you can motivate them to have vision. But it's getting them to take that step of faith to actually trust God to think that this this can actually happen. Yeah. I, I think for you and your gen, you're an influencer for for young people. So, w- what would your message be, say, to young people that approach you, like you approach me, to say, Ronnie, I have this dream. What what would what would your approach be to say, a young person that, are, that says to you, Mark, I have this amazing dream. Yeah. How how would you encourage them in their in their vision? Yeah. So probably whether they love Jesus or not, I would I would try. Well, that's the first thing we try and do is get to the point where they do, because ultimately, without in our current like uh, the environment we live in without Jesus a young person from a poor background is very unlikely to be able to achieve anything which isn't right that's the way it is but with Jesus none of that matters do you know what I mean none of that matters with the with the actual support of the church so even in terms of like so what I said so even with us with Aspire for, for the first while I'm knocking this pillow on the floor for the first while we we were looking at other charities and going, well, what do they do? Right, we'll copy that. What do they do? Right, we'll do that. I came to this point where I went, we are, like, we worship God. God created sound, colour, vision, and I'm looking across the road or online at another charity. I'm connected to the source of all creativity. So unlike other charities, we shouldn't be struggling with money. We shouldn't be struggling with volunteers. We shouldn't be struggling. These struggles, we just accept them. Mm -hmm. We're connected. We should have the most creative, we should have the most creative fundraisers there are. We should have to tell volunteers you're going to have to wait. Because we don't have space for right now. So I try and plug young people into that and help them to see if you've got a vision, give it to God because he's got like more vision than you have. Mm-hmm. God has the means and they may not look like everyone else, but God's a creative God. So we can take your idea and do it in a, in a creative way because the bog standards ways that we're, we're given aren't working. You know what I mean? Normal, I felt fe- like normal charity wasn't working. Like for us, I was like, we're going to skip this point. We get We grow stagnant where other people go... I'm tired of giving them now. There's a new Martin Knox on the block and he's got a new aspire. We'll give to them. Where if we connect with him with God and his creativity, that's what I tell any young person. Mm-hmm. Connect him with God. He's going to show you a different way of doing things, a way that the world hasn't yet thought of. And then they can't but help but go with what you're doing. Yeah. Because it's new and it's fresh, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, I think we find we need to find that uh, the message that young young people, because I think from whenever you meet young people, they see the your testimony, they see mm-hmm. the step of faith that you've taken, and they want to copy you. But mm-hmm. ultimately, we need to get them into yeah relationship with God. Yeah, because he's he's the one that can can give them the meaning and the purpose. I think we like one of the things that we haven't had time to talk about tonight is our internship program mm-hmm. that we have at the castle, Valley Arch Castle, being our headquarters mm-hmm. now where we bring young people in from different parts of the world and they spend a year with us. And obviously they've applied because they want to go deeper into the things of God. They have a heart for mission. But we let us see a lot of them coming because the No Drop-In Ministries is a mission organization. Mm-hmm. And they think by tapping into us that they're going to find God's purposes. But that's why it's so important we, we channel them into the prayer room because yeah. they need to seek God. And uh, I think sometimes we can be so excited about the Great Commission of, of going and uh, that we forget the great commandment that we are to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Yeah. And love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the, that has to be the foundation yeah. that we encourage young people. Yeah. It's amazing that if you're looking at that camp we had, we had a priest and a minister and a youth pastor. Nothing happened. And we bring them in the prayer room with just the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And we see three kids, four kids give their lives to Jesus. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, you think, you can think programs and plug them into this that the other the right thing the good thing the new thing the good speaker whatever plug them in the prayer room and that's where things are going to change you know for us it hasn't always been easy um it was at the start i felt it was really so we set up aspire and everyone was just like loving it so we were like i was meeting everybody and they were all telling me this was the best thing ever and giving me slaps in the back and i this was great and so I don't like so what i'm about to say I, i'm not like church bashing at all because i hate when people do that because i always think somebody told me like me but they really didn't like Heller I'm really cross she's my wife so I don't want to be one of those people who says they love God but they don't like his bride because I don't want God to be feeling like how I would feel you know but we found this summer we had this amazing year like this amazing summer of all these kids coming to Jesus they were from all over Caravan Lurgan, Portland and Caravan and every single one of them now goes to Cara the church that I helped plant not because I wanted them to but because we had a real lack of churches getting involved in the actual work. So mm-hmm. they didn't know anyone else. So I guess for me, our biggest like challenge so far, I, I'm not annoyed. I was more surprised. I think I went into Aspire really naive. So whenever I heard this whole um, 80% of the UK church have university education, I was like, oh my goodness, poor people aren't going to church. I thought naively when I went around all the churches saying, poor people aren't in church, that everybody would go, oh no, what will we do? We need to have them there. And what I found was that actually people were happy for me to go and do that and then come and speak in their church about it because I am easily, like, I'm quite palatable to their audience because mm-hmm. I'm not poor and I speak well and I make them laugh and can make people feel good about themselves. So people love having me in to talk about a spare and give me a slap on the back and £20 and envelope on the way out and that's lovely. But we couldn't get people to disciple these young people. We couldn't get church youth workers involved to the point that we asked every single one of them they all said no then i was going am i just cross or is there something that needs said here so i was actually like crying in my car like i cry in my car a lot there's no dry muffins this time but i was crying in my car and i said to god i was like i'm so annoyed i'm so annoyed what do i do with it what do i do with this and i felt god saying you're annoyed how do you think i feel and i was like okay i think something needs to be said so i then i i do things quite hastily so I wrote this email that was going to go out to all our subscribers, but I knew 
do not act on haste or on initial feeling, which I also struggle with. So I had to hold it for two weeks and we had to get the board all together. And we called it The Church Doesn't Care About Poor People because we wanted to grab people's attention. It was based on this Kanye West thing where he said George Bush doesn't care about black people, but we'd done a whole back and forth about that. We wrote this email and we then, I read it at the board meeting and the board talked about it for about 25 minutes, at which point I thought, this is at least starting a conversation. So we sent the email out and I can see how many times people have read it because you can like check it and I can see, and like we had churches unsubscribe. So in the email, we put in the stats about people are poor, people are not going to church, the church has money, no one's getting involved. And the fact that we called people out and not getting involved upset people more than the fact that poor people aren't coming to church and are struggling in education. So for me, I'm not angry or cross, but I've been a wee bit, I felt a wee bit like I was naive. I felt a wee bit like, oh, I thought everybody would have jumped on this. Do you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. So for me, dealing with that has been the hardest thing. Dealing with the fact that just because God's given you a vision doesn't mean everyone's going to jump on the back of it and go, this is good. And sometimes it's going to take us to keep plowing on and on and on. And then people will go, that works. Yeah. Well, I think that's 100% right, Mark. You, you have to be faithful to what God has called you to do. And you just have to let go of the frustrations and disappointments that people didn't see it or don't see it the same way as you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose for after 24 years, that's the same thing for us uh, as the people. Because I, I, I challenge people as well. Like I, I, I love football, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm reading a, a newspaper, I start at the back page. But I remember one year I was going to, uh, out to Burkina Faso and I was reading the paper and the page was the story on the back page was that a footballer was upset because his football club was not paying him forty thousand pounds per week mm-hmm. on his contract, and he was upset about that. And you know where football wages have went since that day. And uh, like for for me, <laughs> one of my things is that uh, a lot of these wages are sponsored by Sky TV, and a lot of Christians have Sky TV, so they're actually in an indirect way, sponsoring these people to have such exorbitant wages. And I'm, I'm travelling to Burkina Faso, where we can educate and feed an orphan child for £5 a month. Yeah. So I go into churches and say, like, if you've, if, you've, if you've Sky TV and you're not given at least the amount of your Sky prescription to feed the hungry, there's something, <laughs> there's yeah. something a wee bit adrift with your Christian faith. And I, I feel strongly about that because there's something wrong with the Christian church when they can spend more on their personal entertainment than they do invest into the minister into the needs of the widow and the orphan and the poor. Mm-hmm. But again, there's no point in us going, and all I can do is be faithful to what mm-hmm. God has called me to do. And in talking to young people that have a heart to see the world transformed for the kingdom of God, they have to be faithful. But it also is going to involve sacrifice. It's involving commitment. Always brings you out of your comfort zone. And that's the big thing, I think, for the Christian church today, the big challenge of the Christian church today, because it's so easy. And again, it's not for us to, we're not here, I'm not here as church fashion either, mm-hmm. but church culture is very much in people being in a comfort zone. And it's hard sometimes to get people to, and that, that's to me is sad, because for me personally, there's no better place to live than in, in the center of God's will. What God is destined for your life, there's no better place and to stay in a comfort zone, whether that means financial security or you don't want to get your hands dirty or you don't want to get involved. Like we, we have a, an outreach worker and he came back to me last week with the story that the social services wanted us to go in. If the social services are going into this house, and this is in our community, they were protective. 
And I summed, I challenged our church last Sunday morning with that fact. Do we do we pray, God, please don't take me to a house where I have to put on protective clothing to go in because I don't want to get my hand. And God's not looking. You can't make those conditions to God. Mm-hmm. If you're saying what God's looking is for, for people that will say yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what God's looking for. You can't start giving him your, your shopping list of what you will do and what you won't do. God's looking for people that will say yes. And I'm glad, Mark, that whenever you, those moments that you've described, is that whenever you see the statistics, that God does something in your heart to say, as much as you've done it unto one of the least, Jesus says, you've done it for me. Yeah. And that's what motivates me to continue to work. You'll always face disappointments. You'll always face struggles. Might even sometimes face financial difficulties. But if you can see all the, all, all those things as tests of your own character, uh, then ultimately our goal is to grow more and more like Christ and have a heart of compassion like that he has. And uh, I know for my goal is that one day I'll hear, well done, Ronnie, you've mm-hmm. been good and faithful. That's all that matters to me. It's not. Uh, it'd be very easy to get sidetracked by the applaud of, of men, but I have, I have one goal, is to be faithful to the end of fulfilling the, the the charge that God has called us to. If you want to get in contact with Ordinary People, you can go on Twitter at OrdinaryGCC or you can email OrdinaryPeople at grace-community.church or leave a voice message via the Anchor app. You've been listening to the Ordinary People podcast. This episode was directed by Paul Woods. Our producer and editor was Andrew Gribben. Amy Anderson and Lila Gribben provided our voiceovers. Our music was composed by Paul Woods. And our guest hosts were Ronnie Dawson and Mark Knox. This episode was brought to you through the support of Grace Community Church. Mark, you and me could talk all night.